This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumpert. All right, hello everybody and welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition. Going to be talking some Tennessee baseball today. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shumpert on this Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning. Ryan, how we doing? Doing well, doing well. Glad to had a little bit of a, a baseball reprieve this weekend down in Auburn. Missed the last two games of the Gonzaga series, but glad to be uh, back here talking about it this morning and excited to be back at Lindsey Nelson Stadium uh, this evening, watch uh, a rare Power 5 midweek matchup uh, for Tennessee as they take on Boston College. Yeah, wasn't it like this is the first time in like the past five years or something crazy like that where it's a Power 5 yeah. midweek? I think it's at least the first time since Tony's first year. I think it might be the first time in uh, Tony Vitello's whole tenure here. So I, I have not never covered a midweek Power 5 game. And granted, Boston College is what you think of when you think of baseball powers. Uh, <laughs> one of those right. classic Northern teams. But should be better than uh, Iona or Rhode Island, some small northern teams we often see them play. Right, exactly. Well, Tennessee coming off another 5-0 and week, back-to-back 5-0 and weeks for Tennessee now. have won 11 straight, uh, most recently coming off a series sweep against Gonzaga, beating the Zags 7-2 or 8-2, 7-2, and 17-9. Friday and Saturday had similar themes where it was – you know, more good pitching from Tennessee after a little early struggles from the starters um, and then great bullpen performances. And both on Friday and Saturday, Tennessee's offense just had one big inning, really. And then on Sunday, you saw a monstrous third inning from Tennessee, but Gonzaga just kept lingering until Tennessee scored five there in the eighth to really put the nail on the coffin and went by a total of eight runs. It was the biggest run deficit of the weekend, but it certainly didn't feel like it. Um, so just kind of, you going back to Friday, we'll start there. I know you watched that game in its entirety. Um, you know, Chase Dolander, not perfect to start, and that seems like it's kind of been a theme of this season so far. It's just that his first couple innings, he's taken a minute to really get into his groove, but he certainly did after a, after a while, and he threw 11 strikeouts. Um, it's his first time, or it's his second time in his Tennessee career. He's had back-to-back strikeouts uh, of double digits. I believe you had that stat. It was the first time since his very first two uh, starts. There you go. So he had 10 and 11 against Georgia Southern and whoever it was. They played the second, I own, I guess, the second weekend of the year last year, but hadn't hadn't done it at Tennessee since then. Yeah, yeah. 12 against Dayton and then 11 against Gonzaga this weekend. Six innings pitched, only gave up six hits, no runs. So a pretty good outing from Chase Dolander, right? It was. And, you know, you said to think about, you know, he, it took him a little bit to get into a groove. I'm not sure he ever, you know, like completely got into a, a rhythm. It, I guess there was one inning where he retired the side in order, but it felt like there were base runners on almost every single inning he was in. There were two on in, in the sixth inning when he, he finished his day and kind of let out a, a little bit of emotion or an amount of emotion we really haven't seen from him in the, the short season so far. So I, I thought it was an impressive performance just because of that. He was constantly working with runners on base. He was really effective. You mentioned the strikeouts. That was big for him in that case scenario. I mean, what, you go to the first inning, it was back-to-back hits, and 
Uh, Gonzaga had runners on first and third with nobody out. So it kind of mm-hmm. felt like, all right, it's going to be, to your point, another first inning where Chase Dolner gives up some runs, but he gets back-to-back strikeouts and then a ground out, soft ground out to get out of the inning. So it, it was an outing where he was working through a, a lot of pressure, a lot of runners on base, but uh, he was in that, which is kind of an ironic thing to say, but in that mode of kind of unsteadiness, he was pretty steady and, and, and never felt like after that first inning that he was for sure going to give anything up. Yeah, and this was by far the best lineup he's faced this season. Yeah, you know, Gonzaga's better than their record of now 1-11, but or one in ten, something like that. But 11, you know they yeah. have, they have good hitters, and um, they showed that Sunday against weaker Tennessee pitchers. But Chase Dolander and you know Chase Burns on Saturday as well did a good job with the runners on base, as you mentioned. And yeah, that strikeout at the end of the sixth, it just felt like that was so big in that game because Tennessee hadn't had their big inning yet. It was still just yeah. um one to yeah one yeah one to zero one zero yeah so. That was huge, and then Tennessee follows it up with a sixth run, bottom of the sixth, starting off with a leadoff homer from Zane Denton on the first pitch of the at-bat. They got going early in that inning. Later on, it just starts piling on. A Jared Dickey hit by pitch brings in a run, then a walk brings in a run. Owen Wild, great performance from the Gonzaga starter, but there in the bottom of the sixth had loaded the bases, and then they went to the bullpen, it really didn't work out for him. I mean, Owen Wilde was at 109 pitches. I don't blame them for going to the bullpen. He was definitely spent. But, man, the Zags bullpen didn't do him any favors there. Um, the bases, all three that were on when Wilde exited the game, ended up scoring and then some. So Tennessee blows it open in the sixth round to take that comfortable lead. It would be kind of be a common theme all weekend, right? That once Tennessee got to Gonzaga's bullpen, the offense was able to kind of explode or fully get going. But, I think it's easy to look at anything and forget how close it was to, you know, just not being all that much. You mentioned Zane didn't hit the home run his first at Tennessee to open up the inning, but then, you know, it was run, two runners on base. Uh, I believe just two runners on base uh, with two outs in Tennessee. You yeah, know, it all it happened like, with two outs, right? Yeah, everything happened with two outs, and they get to the bullpen, and it's still the back of the order. Charlie Taylor, who works a walk in a 3 2 count, you know, uh, I guess the last uh battered at wild faced i believe and then once once they got to the bullpen you cycled it around to this the start of the lineup now i guess it was basically loaded at that point and and jared dickey it was funny we're watching the guy warm up the pitcher came in for gonzaga and he could not find a strike zone in his warm up warm up pitches which kind of matched what we knew about gonzaga going in then he hits jared dickey on the first pitch he throws so uh, it was you're right it felt like once they got to the bullpen and once you saw that pitch you knew tennessee was going to have some success off the bullpen and kind of turn into an inning, but it was, they were very, very close from not being able to get wild out of that game. And I, I think even though it wasn't a huge weekend for him at the plate, I think you have to give Charlie Taylor a lot of uh, credit for that because that was probably a, one of the most important at bats in, in the game on Friday and, and probably one of the more important bats of the whole weekend. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And Blake Burke later in, later on bringing in two more with a single, then advancing to third there, but, you know, getting another two RBIs. In the first two games, he had like four uh, – it was something crazy. He, had, he was batting 6-11. Well, I should say, after the first two games on the week as a whole, taking the two midweek games into account, he was batting like 6-11, had a handful of home runs, double-digit RBIs. Like, Blake Burke had a week, then he went over Sunday. But, man, and that probably cost him SEC Player of the Week. But, wow, what a week Blake Burke had leading up to Sunday, Ryan. This guy, I know he – it's hard to just 
talk about how great Blake Burke is time in and time out, but he is really showing that it doesn't matter if people are trying to pitch around him. He, he's going to hit anything you throw at him as long as it's in the zone. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's making he's making you look smart with your preseason prediction uh, for him to win. You know, SEC Player of the Year. Not that that's some sort of given or anything at this point, but he, he's he looks like that caliber of player. He's taken another step in this game. He's a more complete hitter. Uh, you know, last year we saw the power, but there were a lot of strikeouts. Struggled hitting lefties at times, or at least didn't, didn't have great numbers hitting lefties. Both those things, he's been really good this year, and uh, he's. The one guy in the middle of Tennessee's lineup he knows is going to be really good. So it's really about having the guys around him be good so teams can't just intentionally walk him. Teams can't just pitch around him once you get to SEC play. And I don't think that's going to be a massive, massive concern, but I do think it's something to watch. And, yeah, I, the thing I keep coming back and just telling people about Blake Burke is it's like if you're – and granted, there's a ton of people like this. It's February, you know, early March baseball. If you're just like scrolling on Twitter and seeing the stats of like, oh wow, man, Blake Burke, Blake Burke's on a tear. Like you just can't get the whole story unless you're like, like just the, unless you're watching it. It's just mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable the the pitches he's hitting out, the w- way he's spraying the ball to different sides of the field. I mean, I go and back he, to and he battles during at bats too. Like yes. he never quits. Yes, the way he battles during at bats. I I guess it was Wednesday, Wednesday or Tuesday. One of those midweek games against Charleston Southern. And the wind was blowing in at Lindsey Nelson from right field. It wasn't like it was on Friday when it was just unbelievable wind, but it was blowing pretty good. I mean, it knocked down what would have been Tuesday and Denton home runs. It knocked down what would have been a, a Blake Burke home run kind of mm-hmm. in the deep right center gap in his oh, first yeah. at bat that landed for a double. And then later in the game, he just hits the ball. It just cuts through the wind and goes past, you know, goes over to Tennessee bullpen. And it's just, it's just stuff that makes your jaw, jaw drop. It's stuff that anytime he's up, no matter the score, no matter the opponent, no matter the time of the game, no matter what you're working on, it's like, all right, all eyes on Blake Burke. Like, he just commands attention, and it's been a ton of fun to watch, and it'll be a, a ton of fun the rest of the season. And, yeah, kind of like I said there, just the, the numbers don't really just or don't really give it full credit for just how impressive it is what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just talking about Friday here, the outfield was a little bit different than what we've seen, and it's mostly because of the wind. Tony Vitello wanted to start great defensive guys. So of course, Christian Scott got the start. Hunter Inslee got the start, but it created a little bit of a headache for Tennessee there at the bottom of the lineup with um, Inslee, C. Scott, and Charlie Taylor. We saw them strand, um, you know, the guys on base a couple of times. I think it was um, there in the second inning. They had two on with no outs, and you, you really, at that point in time, Chase Dolander was a little rocky to start. You wanted Tennessee, you know, just they have to take advantage of that right there, but then the bottom of the order just goes down all swinging, so it kind of created a little bit of a mess there at the bottom of the lineup, but, you know, this is not something we're going to see often with those three, with those that outfield rotation, you know, and the bottom of the lineup looking like that. Just Friday was an anomaly because of the weather. Yeah, you had a, a third body in there because of the water or because of the weather. But, you know, you are probably going to see this with two guys because Charlie Taylor is going to start a lot. And, you know, as we've discussed on here, the center field competition, like it feels like they're going to go with the defensive guy there, which kind of feels like they need to because there's just not an obvious one of those good hitters. There's just not a guy that you feel like super confident, comfortable playing center. I mean, Jared Dickey's probably the, the guy you feel most comfortable in and, and even him. We've seen some issues, so 
yeah, you're going to see that some. Um, certainly the way Kyle Booker finished the weekend and really got going in the game, into that Friday game, uh, with, I think he had a double in his last at bat down the left field line. That's a, a really positive development. I mean, I've mm-hmm. written about it. We've talked about it. He's the guy that is kind of the meat in the middle. He has the offensive talent. He's good defensively. He's the guy that ideally steps up for Tennessee and, and takes the reins of that spot. And he really hadn't before that this weekend. So that would would be a huge development. Um, and you're right. You, they just have they have to capitalize on those opportunities. And not only did they not capitalize on those opportunities early in the Friday game, I mean they looked horrible doing it. It was three pitch strikeout for Christian Scott, two pitch strikeout for Hunter Inslee because he got one uh, on a. A, uh, a pitch clock violation. I mean, it was it was just yeah. an abysmal at bat. He went trying to get a bunt down, or maybe it might have been a call just to put a bunt down and take the pitch. But it was a fastball in the strike zone that he pulled back on on a bunt. Pitch clock violation, chases a breaking ball out of, in the dirt. And then, like you mentioned, uh, uh, Charlie Taylor struck out as well. And then the second time through the order, I mean, it was pretty similar. They, it came a little earlier. I believe Maui Una, who was in the sixth spot, struck out for out number one with two guys on base. But then it was – Again, Hunter Inslee strikeout, and then that's when they pinch hit Booker for Scott and, and, and Booker struck out. Mm. So uh, that is uh, worrisome. You know, you, you they have to be better than that. And I guess while it was a little bit of an you know an exaggerated anomaly with the amount of not great bats you had in the back of the order, there probably just is going to be you know at least one or two not great bats in the back of the order. And in Tennessee, they've got to have to be better. You know, those guys have to be better of not stranding opportunities because they're going to have plenty of opportunities where stuff like that happens this year, where there's one out and two on them and you get to that stuff. And it, it just can't be a death nail into the inning type of situation. Yeah. Let's keep it here for a moment. And we've talked about this center field competition and yeah, I just don't know if Jared Dickey's quite the defensive guy um, that you want to lean on at center field. I think Kyle Booker has shown he's a little bit better, but we obviously know Kyle Booker's bat is lacking compared to, you know, some of the other guys, but man, Kyle Booker, he went five of eight Saturday and Sunday, you know, and he got his home run in on Saturday in a key moment there in the bottom of the sixth um, when Tennessee was trailing actually two to one. Uh, he tied it up there. Tennessee went on to uh, blow it open in the seventh. But man, I, I was really impressed by Kyle Booker. And I know Gonzaga's bullpen is weak, and that's mostly what he did his damage against this weekend. But I don't know. I almost feel like moving forward, and and by the way, we saw Jared Dickey bat fifth on Sunday gave him putting yeah. him in a position to drive in runs and he did great at that. I mean he had the grand slam. <clears throat> I think that Tony should take his lumps at the bottom of the order and start Kyle Booker and Charlie Taylor. And then I think he should move Dickey to fifth, keep a Huna at sixth, and lead off with Dylan Dryling. That is my Tennessee lineup moving forward. I want your thoughts. Dylan Dryling is the DH. Correct. And Jared's at left. Yeah. No, I mean I I like that. I would be a good bit of pressure to put on Dryling, and you know I wonder if he can be consistent enough as a to get on base and not be chasing pitches. That would be my question. But you know, generally speaking, I kind of like it because it it gives a little bit more padding in the back of that order. You know, to have Maui at still Maui at six and Dickey at fifth. I like the idea of Dickey in the middle of the lineup because he's. We talk about those issues driving guys in. He's not a huge swing and miss guy. He, he's a guy you're going to feel confident with a runner on third and less than two outs. So he's going to be able to get him in. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike that idea at all. The one thing I would say is just how much, how much consistency does Vitello want to have with who's batting leadoff? Because I don't think Dylan Dryling is going to be a starter every day. 
even at DH. Mm-hmm. He might get the majority of starts there, but I don't think he it's just gonna be locked in Villadron's your everyday starter at the designated hitter spot. So that would, you know, present I don't even think I would call it an issue. Uh, more of just like a question if Tennessee and Vitello would be willing to do that. But I, I certainly don't think that's a, a bad idea by any means either. Do you think that Tony could rotate the leadoff spot in SEC play? Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. We saw him do it some last year. You know, that was kind of... Yeah, but, know, Seth, in... but Seth was really, like, maybe early on, but Stevenson was leadoff every time there at the end. By the end of the year, yeah. But it wasn't like it was just pre-conference play they were figuring that out i mean they figured that out for a while in sec play and jared dickey's injury had a lot to do with that too correct um yes. but there that was a moving part so you're right it is different because they were by the end of the year set yeah i mean it's, it's a hard question to say i i would think he, he would probably not want to do that but i think it also just depends on like how set your lineup is like once they get to sec play do they have the same eight you know at least eight if not nine starters or you know seven eight starters every single day then i think you probably want a little bit of consistency there at the top of the lineup if they're still moving stuff around in the outfield if kyle booker hasn't solidified that spot if jared dickey's still getting starts in center if cal stark you know is is starting at dh as well as catcher then i think it maybe changes some things and maybe you're willing to be more all right we got different lineups every day well why not just mess around at the front um but it's hard to say. I don't. I don't have a great feel for it. Yeah, I mean, and you know, there's a lot of baseball to be played. There's so many games left. Of course, we'll <clears throat> see what happens <clears throat> moving forward. Sorry about that. Well, Saturday, moving on to Saturday, Tennessee won seven to two, backed by that five run seventh inning. Chase Burns, similar start to Chase Dolander, not as great to start off with. Gave up a couple earned runs um, there in the second inning, but did pretty well. And uh, you know, I, I think that. They were just seeing his fastball well early, and uh, then he started throwing the changeup more. And Chase Burns just was, you know, carving him up there, there down the stretch. Kirby Cannell comes in, gets a couple of key outs, and then Halverson closes it down in the last two innings. Another great relief form- performance from Seth Halverson. So Tennessee's pitching as a whole, probably the best day on Saturday. Yeah, I would say that's probably fair. You know, top to bottom, and it feels like a burn start that. We've seen a lot from Tennessee starting pitchers this year where it takes them just a little bit to get into a groove, but he was really solid. I think you have to like the way he bounced back from that second inning where he got hit around a little bit. And, you know, it's, it feel you know, Camden Sewell's kind of the one guy that we haven't seen and we know he's really good, but, you know, to, from what they've had out there right now, to me, it feels like Kirby's their best left-handed guy and Seth's their best right-handed guy. So they went to their best arms and, and they really both delivered and, uh, yeah, just, just giving up one base runner there in two and two-thirds innings to close things out. So those guys were really good. I think it's easy to look past how good, you know, Kirby Cannell has been to this point in season. I know I feel like I've done that some, but... Uh, I think it's just because he hasn't pitched a whole lot. Like, he just comes in, gets a couple outs, and that's it. You know, it's... Yeah. And but and but he's so efficient. Yeah, that's going to be his role, too. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be a guy that, especially once SEC play starts, they want to, you know throw out there for two, three innings, but he's the guy that can come in in a jam. He's going to throw strikes. He especially, you know, coming off, especially on Friday and Saturday, Dolander and, and Burns, you get kind of that Ben Joyce into Redmond Walsh mode where you have a guy right-handed arm throwing upper 90s and then boom, you you go to a, a soft-throwing left-hander with some, some nasty junk. So uh, I think it's 
uh, it works out well in that spot, and he that's going to be his role, and I think it's one well, he's well suited to. So uh, he's been impressive so far, and then Seth Halverson just continues to be steady Eddie and really impressive every time he's out there. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know them not allowing a base runner in the final two and two thirds. Well, after the second inning, Burns, um, Halvey, and Cannell put together only allowed three hits and a walk after the second inning. So so what was a pretty good. Uh, definitely a pretty good pitching performance from Tennessee on Saturday night. And, you know, as I said, they blew it open there in the seventh. That's kind of was a theme of this weekend. We touched on a little bit that the Gonzaga bullpen, once Tennessee got the Zags into their bullpen, that was when, you know, it was going to get ugly for the Bulldogs. And and it did again on Saturday. Just what do you think about this? mentality that Tennessee is adopting because Griffin Merritt and Jared Dickey said it over the weekend, we're one inning away. And last year it was a little different because, you know, you had so much power, you're scoring so many runs, but they still have that one inning approach this year where, yeah, we know our pitchers are going to shut down the opponent. And if we struggle on offense, we know it's only going to take one inning considering how good our pitching is. Yeah. I think the key part is the last part you said, because how good the pitching is like, it's not something they can, think they're just going to be able to go out there and score six runs and you know multiple in, in one inning multiple games of weekend that's probably not going to happen but that's it is right the, the pitching is good enough that they're you know basically kind of in the game at, at any mm-hmm. moment it's kind of in a lot of ways like the Tennessee basketball team where no matter how bad the offense is you know they're probably still in the game because the defense is so good so uh I, I think you have an element of that I think and Griffin Merritt talked about it I want to say, or maybe it was someone on Friday night. I, I can't remember who it was, but they talked about how, you know, the mindset is just, we just got to get, get to bullpens. And that was slightly exaggerated this weekend because Gonzaga's bullpen was so bad, but there's a lot of teams in SEC that pitching depth is the question. Like you feel good about a lot of things about them. Pitching depth is kind of the, I don't know if they have enough of it. And Florida, who's been as impressive as anybody, if not the most impressive team in the conference at this point is exactly that way. And I think, grinding out at bats and grinding out ways to get past starting pitchers is going to be important for this team. And that's what really the first four years of Tony Vitello's tenure, like that was an identity of this, even 2021 team who hit a bunch of home runs. They were big on, they would grind out at least a lot of guys in that lineup. They would grind out at bats and they would get to bullpens early 2019. I mean, they had to do that, but they were phenomenal at it. That was exactly what they were trying to do last year. That went out the, the wayside because the offense was so good, but I think you're going to have to get back to that this year. And, I think it's easy, maybe for the casual fan, you know, they look at how much bullpen depth Tennessee has and thinking, you know, most teams have enough depth to get them through a three-game series. It's not definitive like that. Tennessee's bullpen depth is an anomaly in in the sport. So Mm -hmm. I think that mindset is probably a smart one, and I think it'll be interesting, especially when they get in SEC play. And it'll i just say once they get an sec play and run to me become an even bigger premium i'll be interested to see how much of the lineup's mindset is just trying to work walks wear batters down or wear pitchers down and get to bullpens early in games because they just don't have that explosiveness of last year they just don't i mean blake burke does christian moore maybe does jared dickey maybe does but only a couple of guys so you're not seven deep with those guys like you were last year yeah i mean not at all so you have it goes back to what we talked about. I think last week when you were talking about you know the one through seven, and the, I think I don't I can't remember the word you used. I said, and it was like it was good. It's yeah, it's it's good, 
Yeah. It's just not it's just not quite at that same level last year, which you know, that's an unfair expectation. Last year's lineup was unbelievable. Um, but I think it's an adjustment period and it goes back to all the stuff we talked about where Tennessee just needs to do the little things better, both defensively and on the plate, because they don't have the room for error that they had last year. And I think that's going to be uh, or has been a little bit of adjustment for most everybody on this team. Yeah, I called it a stud seven, but in, I mean, Cal Stark's bat has since gone a little cold and he also hasn't seen as uh, the, the plate appearances he was earlier in the season. And I think no. it's just Tony getting guys in. I don't really know why. Um, but uh, he hasn't been very efficient with the opportunities he's had. And, of course, Maui Ahuna's struggles to start the season at the plate, which I'm not looking too much into. I mean, he had four RBI Sunday. You know, he come in in pretty uh, great situations for him. I mean, I think the bases were loaded twice when he came to the plate. So, um, you know, on Sunday he only had one hit, but he had four RBI. Just your thought on Maui Ahuna kind of settling in. I don't think that he's going to be this bad at the plate all season long or anything. And I don't even think he's been that bad as maybe some are saying. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the numbers here and some of the numbers on the Tennessee weekend stats don't match up with this. So I'm just looking at his page. Check mm-hmm. me, check me if I'm wrong. No, I you're good. Case, the first three games, he went one for four every single game he's played so far. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and which <laughs> I believe he's had a hit in, uh, well, I he I don't think he had a hit Saturday. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This that's where I, I yeah I can't, I can't he went over he went over Saturday, but he you know dating back to Kansas he had like a twenty three game hit streak and then he had a yeah. hit Sunday. So yeah, he he typically gets one a game. So yeah, no, okay, that that was more of just what well, that was gonna be a funny stat. And yeah, I'm seeing that where I, I read Shetty wrong, but yeah, you know go go back to our preview podcast that we talked about. You know, I think I said there I don't. What I watched from Allen is that didn't tell me 396. It didn't tell yeah. me what he hit at Kansas. Now, I don't think it's going to be 250 all year, but I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily shocked by what, what we've seen so far, especially in his first week back. Um, you know, I don't know that he was pressing, but that would be, I think, a pretty natural uh, no, motion was. or natural thing. I think, uh, I think he has been. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think he'll be better than this. I, I don't think he's going to hit 250 all year, but I, I can't say I'm not either. Stunned, you know, to see him, whatever he's hitting at this point. I guess it's a little under 250 since he had the one game he went over for. Um, so it, it's not shocking. I think he'll be better, but I don't think you're necessarily going to see 390, you know, this year either. It's going to be a meet in the middle. My guess would be, you know, upper 200s, 285, 290. And if he gets in the 300, I think I think you got to be really pleased with that. But he is driving in runs. You know, he we've seen some of the power. He hasn't hit a home run yet, but he's had multiple doubles. And that was, I think, maybe – what stood out to me more than even the 396 that he hit at Kansas was just how many extra base hits he had. So uh, I think you you did see a little bit of that and uh, certainly really good defensively, which I think is the number one, one thing he brings to this team. Yeah, probably his best game at the plate did come Sunday. He had the two run double there. And uh, as I said, just four total RBIs. He had an RBI grind, a couple RBI grind outs, maybe a sack fly. I think it was a sack fly and an RBI grind out the two run double. So that's how he got his four RBI. Um, but yeah, and we talked to Maui Huna Sunday and he goes, he, you know, backing up what Ryan said, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm settling in. I feel pretty good. So he, he wasn't down in the dumps with how he started the season or anything. And, and I think that Tennessee, you know, what they get out of him defensively and if he can do this and get these RBIs and just be efficient uh, at the plate in a sense, then and it's a win. Uh, it, it's it's a win in the end. But I still don't think Maui Huna should lead off. And he did Sunday and Tony Vitello move the lineup around and, you know, just different feel with these guys. And he said he was 
confident in this lineup uh, moving forward, and he feels like this may give them the best opportunity to score. I think part of that is because Jared Dickey was in the five hole. But what do you think of Maui Huna leading off that decision? I know we've talked about that was certainly a possibility before the season, but I, are you with me that maybe that's not the best idea? Yeah, I mean, he does some things that aren't aren't good in the leadoff spot, which is mainly the fact that he's a big swing and miss guy. And he's not consistent at taking pitch, pitches. He will chase stuff. He and, and some of that is because of, you know, what we've, well, he's this, at least this week of him pressing maybe a little bit out the gates, but naturally that's still, you know, he's not just a, a pure contact hitter. And he goes back to everything I just said, you know, I don't think he's going to hit 300 or at least that would be a, you know, outstanding production for Malia if Tennessee got that. But at the same time, I don't think there's an obvious guy to be hitting in that spot. And I guess, it, you know, in a lot of ways it's Jared Dickey because he is such a good contact hitter, but we just mentioned, you know, all the reasons we why we like him in the five hole and why that's a great spot for him. So, yeah, I don't know who is that natural guy to go there. You know, I don't think Tennessee has just a natural leadoff hitter, maybe like they had last year with Seth Stevenson. Um, even though I don't think he was necessarily perfect either. You know, Liam Spence would probably be a better example in the twenty twenty one season. So, mm-hmm. that's going to be something interesting uh, to see how Tennessee manages because it had been Jared Dickey, you know, every game until Sunday against Gonzaga, uh, whether. Vitello goes back to that or whether he really they decide we really want to keep him in the middle of the lineup and then if that's the case I think you'll see some tinkering I, I definitely don't think it's Malia job that he's won by any means right and you know Sunday was one of the weirdest games I've covered of course I've only been covering the team for two years but for a Tennessee baseball game maybe the most combined runs we've had in a Tennessee baseball game uh well I mean they scored like 27 and 29 against Iona so I guess not but 17 and 9 against Gonzaga um an eight run third and a five run eighth Gonzaga went to their bullpen to start the, uh the third well after two were on to lead off in the third and um well I think no I take that back the bases were loaded in the third and then they switched pitchers and Jared Dickey took the guy yard for a grand slam right out of the gate so Tennessee laid it on thick in the third, and you know the storyline of this game was that Tennessee could hit without Blake Burke, and they scored 17 runs, and Blake Burke didn't have a hit. So that was encouraging to see that other guys can have these big days, um, you know, like Zane Denton and Griffin Merritt, Jared Dickey, of course. Maui had the four RBIs. So, you know, this Tennessee lineup is still pretty deep, but we've talked about this, that you know, against this bullpen, we're not going to see this a lot. But what I want to talk about, would want to get your thoughts on, is just Tennessee's bullpen. Um, and more importantly, Drew Beam, actually, because see, this is not the typical game we see Drew Beam start in. What, uh, you know, was kind of referred to in the press box Sunday as a slugfest. It really was a slugfest. And Drew Beam giving up seven hits, four runs, three earned. Of course, he had zero earned runs coming into Sunday, only three strikeouts and a walk. Just do you think that Drew Beam kind of can do the same thing as Chase and Chase, where he, he can you know, prevent the, these, this damage, if you will, when, when the bats get hot. Yeah, certainly. And obviously I didn't, I wasn't, you know, watching, watching the every pitch Drew beam through, but to me, I guess the question with him or maybe the, the issue with him is more that he's not, he doesn't have big time swing and miss stuff. Like he's going to fill up the zone. So when he's not completely on and you're facing a good lineup, I think this is, you know, liable to happen. Does that mean he can't work around it and in outings and it's just going to be great or bad? No, I think we've seen him do that, you know, last year where he had, he had some stuff in the middle, but um, I think it's more capable of happening to him than any of other, 
any of Tennessee's other starters just because he doesn't have that strikeout stuff to to really lean on and get out of innings. And if he's not on and he's playing a, or facing a lineup that is really good and is hot, I think this is capable of happening. Yeah, yeah it, it is. I mean, it showed it Sunday. He got a little rocked there, um, but I think he did a good job of like pitching with runners on, kind of like Dolander or Beam did. There were a couple instances where um, after that, uh, third inning where a couple of runners would get on and he'd get out of the inning with a ground out or, or fly out. So I, I don't think there's any problems with Drew Beam, but this is one of his, you know, worst starts, of, the, the worst start of this season. And he kind of had that late season 2022 vibe from Drew Beam. Yeah. Tennessee used four bullpen arms. Bryce Jenkins got the win. He did give up a two run shot right out of the gate. Um, one of those was on base because of Drew Beam, but. He got the win, so he did pretty good after that against the five remaining batters he faced. But Lindsey, Fitzgibbons, Bimby all also gave up home runs. Gonzaga's bats were on fire, especially Brian Calmer, their cleanup hitter. My goodness, dude hit three bombs. That guy was a stud on Sunday. Um, maybe Tony Vitello talked to him a little bit after the game. I don't know. But, um, he went four for five at the plate with three homers. So <clears throat> we've talked about Jacob Bimby struggling a little bit, and this is a guy we were kind of high on going into the season. I just feel like he hasn't shown any impressive outings out of the bullpen yet. No, it really hasn't been great. And, you know, I, I think it's a continued conversation of what what does Tennessee's left-handed arms out of the bullpen look like? And I think, I honestly, you know, my honest opinion is they need to get Wyatt Evans back. And I think, I yeah. think he's, besides Kirby Canal, the best guy, you know, they have. So those back-end guys, left-handed arms, I don't think have been as impressive as Tennessee would hope. You know, Xander's been good, but again, it seems like they've settled him in. Not that it can't change, but to this point in the season, they've settled him into midweek starter role again. He threw whatever it was, four or five innings last week in the midweek, so it doesn't feel like they think he's the answer there. Fitzgibbons, again, was not great. You know, he kind of like Bimby, he's had less opportunities, but he hasn't been overly impressive in him so far this year. So if there's any weakness in Tennessee's bullpen, I think it's kind of the the depth pieces of the left-handed arms, and, and some of those guys certainly – haven't been as impressive as you would hope. Yeah, and, you know, it's a guy who we didn't see again during the weekend is Xander Seacrest, and we talked about it last podcast. <clears throat> we were going to kind of get a better feel for what his role is going to be due to those midweeks. Got the midweek start, um, so I think maybe Xander's just a midweek guy as well. He just I just don't think he's shown enough on the weekends to be, a, you know, one of the top bullpen arms, especially when you have so many lefties, so... I feel like his role is kind of what it is at this point. But we also didn't see A.J. Russell, the right-hander, but we didn't see him. He started on a yeah. midweek last week, but we didn't see him on the weekend. And he's been lights out. I would expect, I don't know, if he doesn't start, if Xander starts the midweek game against Boston College, which I think is a very you know, likely possibility, maybe we see him Tuesday. But uh, this is a guy that has earned weekend innings, just didn't see him against Gonzaga. Yeah, no, that's, I was, I'm glad you brought it up because I was. That was the one thing that surprised me. I thought you would see him. I think he'll pitch, you know, against Boston College no matter what, probably not more than an inning. And then I, I would expect to see him get some more innings this weekend against Moorhead State. But that was certainly, you know, surprising. Yeah. And um, any other thoughts on Tennessee's pitching staff this weekend? Anything else surprise you from the sweep over the Zags? Yeah, I don't know. This isn't specific to Tennessee's pitching staff, but I thought it was good to see Tennessee win in some different ways with the offense, mainly just in that Sunday game. But mm -hmm. we talk about, 
having experience winning in different ways. And we talk about this in all sports, football, basketball, baseball. You know, Tennessee's mainly just won by leaning on their pitching and being really good this year. There haven't hasn't really been any games where they've that they won, but they needed the offense to be really good. And certainly they did that. Uh, on Sunday was the extreme version of that where they had to score a lot of runs to win, and they did. And I think you even saw like a little bit of that on Friday night when it was – you know, really tight game in the sixth inning late in the game, and then boom, you blow the game up with a big, big inning that gives you some comfort uh, for your bullpen and gives you some room for air. So not that it was necessarily a necessity that game, but it was really tight, and they did do that. So, uh, again, it's against a Gonzaga pitching staff that isn't great, but I thought that was a good sign to see Tennessee win in some different ways this weekend than, than they have in their, what well, I guess, going into the weekend, their previous eight wins. Yeah, and Tony Vitello kind of backed up what you said by saying it felt like we came back in all our games. And they did on Saturday and Sunday. They trailed 2-0 both times. But, you know, on Friday they never trailed, but it was 0-0 until the fifth inning there. So it did feel like, and with how good Wild was, it almost felt like Tennessee yeah. was trailing. Um, so, yeah, Tennessee kind of having these comeback wins, if you will, was was encouraging to see from their standpoint, of course, scoring 17 runs without Blake Burke getting a hit. I think that was a storyline from Sunday. Well, Tennessee will be back in action Tonight, actually, 6.30 p.m. Eastern against Boston College as they'll look to win their 12th game in a row than a weekend series against Moorhead State this weekend. Ryan's attendance will vary on how Tennessee basketball does in the SEC tournament, I take it. Um, yeah. I'll be there all three days, and it's going to be a fun weekend in Lindsey Nelson. Ryan, I guess that'll wrap up this edition of uh, the special edition baseball podcast, if you will, and got any big plans for this Tuesday afternoon outside of baseball. Well, basketball media availability this afternoon, so that into baseball. That's uh, that's my plans, and be uh, be ready to roll for basketball this weekend in Nashville, and then from there, the the fun really begins for both of us. You know, we'll uh, yeah, or both sports, I should say, March Madness, and then obviously next time we're on here, we'll be talking about some SEC baseball oh, and yeah. start stuff to get stuff starts to get good, and, and Tennessee heads to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I guess not this coming weekend, but the following weekend to open up SEC play. I'm looking forward to it. Well, of course, keep it locked in with Rocky Top Insider's co- coverage. As always, at Rocky Top Insider, can follow Ryan at rshump00, myself at Jack Foster Media. We'll keep you covered all throughout baseball season and, of course, at the end of basketball season. That'll wrap up this edition of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Baseball Podcast. Appreciate you guys staying with us today. Be sure and check us out next time. And Everybody, have a happy Tuesday.